Our confessional reading this evening is from Article 27 in the Belgic Confession. You can find it on page 183 in the Book of Forms and Prayers, or 865 in the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. The article is entitled The Holy Catholic Church, and it tells us uh, that the Holy Catholic Church is sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be looking at what that sealing of the Holy Spirit is from the Scriptures this evening from Ephesians 1, but I thought that it would be appropriate to read Article 27. We believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers, awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by His blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end, as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal King who cannot be without subjects. And this holy church is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even though for a time it may appear very small in the eyes of men, as though it were snuffed out. For example, during the very dangerous time of Ahab, the Lord preserved for himself 7,000 men who did not bend their knees to Baal, And so this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain persons, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will, in one and the same spirit, by the power of faith. And then if you turn to the Word of God, to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 1, I'll read the verses 1 through 14 of Ephesians 1, though the sermon this evening will focus on verses 13 and 14, particularly as it connects with the work of the Spirit of God. You'll find that on page 1,241 if you haven't found it yet. Ephesians 1, beginning of verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, sorry, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's the reading of the word of the living God. It has often been said that the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity, that he doesn't like to draw much attention to himself, and therefore we don't know much about him. Well, it is true that the work of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself, but to focus our attention on the glory of God as that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. But I think it's fair to say that the Holy Spirit is more the unknown person of the Holy Trinity. That as Christians, we need to learn to grapple with the fact of who He is and what He has come to do. For many Christians, I assume the Holy Spirit is a faceless and anonymous person. We don't really know what to do with Him. In fact, Sometimes we know so little to what to do with him that we call him an it. But that is for us, that is that ignorance means that we miss out on the grace of God that he has given to us. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift of the ascended Christ to his church, and our spiritual maturity depends upon us knowing all that we can know about the third person of the Trinity. And so the intention of this series over the last number of weeks has been to help us know who the Spirit is. The Spirit as the ascended Christ gift. The Spirit as the builder of the church, as the one who changes human hearts, the one who who enables us to cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit who works in us to sanctify us and to change us from one degree of glory to another so that we would be holy even as God is holy. And this evening we want to look at the Holy Spirit as the seal and deposit that the Apostle Paul speaks about. And these opening verses of this letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul speaks very pointedly and distinctly about the three persons of the Trinity. So in verses 3 through 6, in particular, he speaks about the work of God the Father, the one who from before the foundation of the world has chosen his people and predestined them to be adopted as his sons. In verses 7 through 12, he speaks about the work of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, the one who has given himself and has shed his blood for our redemption so that we might share in the blessings of the kingdom of God and in unity with the Son have eternal life. And then in verses 13 through 14, he focuses our attention on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we see that the Spirit is both the seal and the depositor, as the ESV says, the guarantee of our inheritance. So what do we learn about the Holy Spirit this evening? Well, I want to point out to you four different 
things. The first thing to point out is that the Holy Spirit is the gift of Christ to all believers. I think it's common in evangelicalism, and you might be familiar with this in your own experiences, that there are some Christians who think that the Spirit is given to special Christians, that He is somehow a second blessing that some believers get and others do not get at all. But that is pointedly not true. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear that all Christians receive the Holy Spirit, and you can see that in the logic that he has here in verses 13 and 14. He says to the Ephesians, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that is, believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that if you have believed the gospel, you are in Christ, and if you are in Christ, then you have the Spirit. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There is no two-tier or three-tier experiences in the church of Jesus Christ. All believers, all who have trusted in the Lord Jesus in response to the preaching of the gospel and have embraced him as their Savior, all Christian believers are sealed with the Spirit of God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is promised. You can see this in verse 13. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now that gives us some pause here. Because we know that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. And as a person of the Godhead, he shares in the essence of the Godhead. So he is as eternal as the Father is eternal and as the Son is eternal. He's co-eternal with the Father and the Son. And we know that at the very headwaters of human history, as recorded for us in Genesis 1 verse 2, the Holy Spirit was there hovering over the waters. So then how can Paul speak about the Holy Spirit as the promised Holy Spirit? It almost seems like Paul is saying he once wasn't, but he was promised to be, and now you have him. Well, that's not exactly the way to see it. But it is true that the Holy Spirit was promised by the Old Testament prophets. You can read through the Old Testament. Remember uh, what the Apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost as he quotes from Joel that in the last days God will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Or think about what Ezekiel says. I think it's Ezekiel 36 where it says there that, that God will put his Spirit in his people. And Isaiah the prophet speaks about the coming of the Spirit and the refreshment and rejuvenation that will come when the Spirit is poured out from on high. And so the Old Testament prophets did speak that a time was coming when the Holy Spirit would come, and, and he would come in a new way, in a way that he hadn't come before. And our Lord Jesus says something similar. He, of course, is the great prophet of prophets, but listen to what he says in John 14. He's talking about him, himself going away. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So there's the Lord Jesus promising his disciples 
that the Father is going to send the Spirit of truth. In fact, Jesus says it even more strongly in John 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So our Lord Jesus is saying this, that when the sun goes up, the Spirit will come down. And it is to your benefit, he says to his disciples, you're better off without me. You're better off with me in heaven above because then you will experience the gift of the Holy Spirit below. And so what Jesus is saying is that the Spirit is going to come in a new way and he's going to do things that he hadn't previously done. The Holy Spirit is the promised Holy Spirit. And with the ascension of the Lord Jesus to the right hand of the Father in majesty, the Holy Spirit was received by Jesus and then poured out upon the church. And so we should expect that the Spirit of God, because He is the Spirit of the ascended Christ, is going to work in marvelous ways, in ways in the new covenant that He had not previously worked in before. In fact, remember, remember what the Lord Jesus said in John 7. He said, whoever believes in me, streams of water will flow from him. This he said concerning the Spirit who had not yet been given because the Son had not yet been glorified. So that in the new covenant, with the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, we move into a new era into a new experience of grace. We move into the age of the Spirit with all of the attendant blessings that come to us through the Spirit. Remember how Paul, at the beginning of this letter to the Ephesians, blesses the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, capital S, every spiritual, every holy spiritual blessing. The Spirit of God is promised. So he's given to all believers. He's promised. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is a seal. In verse 13, Paul says, you believers, you embrace Christ, which is the truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Christ. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, there as well the Apostle Paul says that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He talks about the Holy Spirit in that way as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the verses 21 and 22. As I read that, he says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is a seal? I imagine you children, when you think of seal, you think of that uh, animal, that Calgary Zoo, that flaps its flippers and knifes through the air. And you think there's no way the Holy Spirit is a seal like that. And you're right, he's not. So what does it mean that he is a seal? 
Well, in the old times when this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, a seal was something very distinct. It marked, first of all, that something was authentic. We have the same uh, sense of the word seal in our day and age. You can have a President's Choice Cola, or you can have uh, a Coca-Cola, and uh, you can determine which one is which by tasting it. And it's obvious if you taste them both that the one is superior to the other. But you can also determine which one is which by looking at the trademark, the seal on the can. The one says Coca-Cola, and the other says President's Choice Cola. They're different. They have a different stamps on them, different trademarks, different seals. The seal, Coca-Cola, authenticates that what's in this can or in this bottle is the real thing. Or as, uh, as that Kellogg's uh, commercial said years ago, if it doesn't say Kellogg's on the box, it isn't Kellogg's in the box. And so the Spirit is given to believers to authenticate them as true believers. They belong. They are the recipients of the Spirit as a seal, authenticating that they are Christians. So the Spirit as a seal authenticates. The Spirit as a seal also is a mark of ownership upon believers. Some of you children will know that farmers often brand their cows. Uh, whatever the symbol that they brand, they heat it up and they stamp it into the cow's hide, and there is a mark on the cow, the brand of the farmer. Well, that's the farmer sealing that cow. That cow belongs to me. It is mine. A seal is a mark of ownership. And similarly with Christians. I mean, it was also true in the, in, in the time of Paul that slaves are sometimes branded with the mark of ownership. But Christians are too. God claims us as his own. And how do we know that we belong to God? Well, he seals us with his spirit. He gives us his spirit and marks us in him. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He says that anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. Whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. That is, if you belong to Christ, if you are God's, then he will give you the mark of ownership. He will seal you with his Spirit. And then there's a third aspect to the sealing. And you might be familiar with this one because you know the story of Jesus and his death. After they had buried him, they rolled a stone into place. And then Pilate put a seal on that stone to protect the grave from any intrusion. It was like saying, if you mess with this grave that has been sealed, you mess with the sealer. The sealer is a mark of protection. And similarly with Christian believers, God marks them as his own and commits himself by the gift of the Spirit, commits themselves to their protection forever. 
so that no one is able to snatch any of God's people out of his hands. That's so beautiful what we read in the Belgian Confession this evening, that the church of God belongs to God and is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world. Now, it might not always be evident that the church is in the ascendancy or that the church is protected by God, but they are. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God so that no one can ever take them from God's grip. No one can ever destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can any member of the church ever be lost because the Spirit has been given as a seal. There is a sobering story along these lines in the prophet Ezekiel. There he sees a vision where the Lord calls a man to himself, and the Lord tells him to pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. So basically the Lord says to this man, I want you to go through the city, put a mark on those who are believers, those who care about the things I care about, who lament the wickedness and degradation of the city. Mark them, seal them. And then the Lord also calls executioners who are to go through the city and to cut down everyone who does not have the mark on their foreheads, who are not sealed by God. That seal commits God to our eternal protection. He will lose none of his own. None who have the seal of the Spirit will ever be lost. And so the Spirit is the seal who authenticates us that we are Christians It's a mark of God's ownership upon us. We belong not to ourselves, but to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We've been purchased by his blood. And it is a sign of his protection. What a privilege it is to be marked by the Spirit. Our eternity is secure. We will go from this life to the life to come. And we do not need to be concerned about a thing because the Spirit of the living God has been given to us. But that does raise a question. If this is true about those who have the Spirit of God, that they are authentic Christians, owned by God, protected by Him, well, how do I know that I have the Spirit of God? Because that seems to be the all-important question, isn't it? Because This can be true about all those who have the Spirit of God, but if I don't have the Spirit of God, it's not true about me. And so how do I know that I have the Spirit of God and that I am authenticated, owned, and protected? Well, the answer is really quite simple. Because what you have to think about is, what are the evidences of someone who is indwelt by the Spirit of God? You know how, uh, how sometimes uh, the, the kitchen can be left a little bit, at least sometimes in our house, the kitchen can be a little, left a little bit messy at night. If we have visitors over, they stay late, and you think, well, we'll just take care of this tomorrow. That's what we say. But then I wake up in the morning, and everything's spotless and spick and span, tidied up, and I think, well, how in the world did that happen? It's evidence that Lucy's been there. 
So what's the evidence that the Spirit of God has been in your life? Well, it's when the Spirit of God has renovated you, has cleaned you up, has changed you, has transformed you, has made you hardly recognizable from what you were. You know, the, the Spirit of God is, is the one who brings us to Christ so that we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. He takes the things of Christ and reveals them to us. He's the one who changes our heart, who breaks down our pride, who softens the heart and heart. He's the one who transforms us so that we run in the way of God's commandments, so that we love God, so that we love His law, so that we love His people. So that the fruit of the Spirit, a love, joy, peace, and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control are all evidenced in our lives. If you have the Spirit of God, it will be abundantly evident. And you can look at your life and see the traces of the presence of God's Spirit upon you as you cling to Jesus Christ in faith, as you live your life for the praise of his glory, not without sin, but that's your aim and goal and design and desire. Well, then you know you have the Spirit of God, and when you have the Spirit of God, when you're sealed with the Spirit, then you are a true Christian, then you are owned by God, and you are protected by him. And heaven will be your blessing. In fact, Paul goes on to speak about that in verse 14 as he speaks about the Spirit not only as the seal, but also as the ESV says, the guarantee of our inheritance. That's not really the best way to translate that. And in fact, it acknowledges that there's another translation in the footnote. You'll see there's a, there's a superscript four behind guarantee, which pushes you down to the bottom of the page, and you can see that it can also be translated, who is the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it or until God redeems his possession to the praise of his glory. So the Spirit is the down payment, the deposit of our inheritance. If you're selling a house, someone will look at it and then make an offer. They'll say, I'll buy that house for that much money. And they could write a note to you and say, I, I promise to pay that uh, amount. And you say, well, that's very kind of you to write that note, but there's not a lot I can do with that note. I need to see some money. I need to see a down payment, a deposit. I need to see the first installment of what you're going to give me until the house is paid. Or if you don't like real estate and you like dining rooms, Imagine that you're about to sit down for supper and just beforehand you run through the kitchen and you see there this lovely pot of mashed potatoes whipped up into peaks and you stick your spoon, of course, in the pot and you take a bite. And uh, that's a foretaste of what you're going to have in just a few minutes. That's what Paul's speaking about. What you're going to get but a taste of what you're going to get. The same thing that you're going to get in advance. And so, when you sell your house, you're going to get so much money. You get some of that money now. If you're going to eat dinner, you're going to get mashed potatoes, and you get some of those mashed potatoes now as a picture, as the first installment of your future 
joy. Well, Paul says, the Holy Spirit is that. He's the deposit. He is the down payment, the first installment, the foretaste of your inheritance. See, when, one day, I know it doesn't seem real sometimes when you look at the world as it is and you look at your life as it is, but one day, everything will be made new. One day, we will no longer struggle with sin and temptation. One day, we will have uninterrupted peace with God. One day, we will live in the presence and see our Savior Jesus Christ face to face. That's what's the future for us. And now, God gives us a foretaste of that future. So he gives us the the first installment of heaven. We will be without sin. And so in this life, he gives us a taste of of what that would be like to, to be free from sin when he enables us to have victory over sin. In heaven, we will be fully reconciled with the Father. And so even now, he gives us this sense of peace and hope and joy when, when you have this overwhelming sense that there's, there's nothing the Father has against you at all because everything has been taken care of in, in Jesus Christ. And, and, and sometimes uh, you have this, this keen awareness that, that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all of our sins and and you, are, uh, you, you have this, this great joy of, of being uh, sin-free. You know you're not, but, but you have an experience of, of what that would be like as an anticipation of living forever in the presence of God, unmarred by anything that mars our life today. So really, what, uh, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that, that when God gives us the Holy Spirit, Heaven comes to us before we come to heaven. Or uh, as that one song with a bit of variations, heaven comes down in the Holy Spirit and glory fills my soul. It is getting a taste of heaven before one is in heaven. And it seems to me the Apostle Peter understood this so well. He says uh, to his readers, though you have not seen the Lord Jesus Christ, you love him. So he's talking about the future revelation of Jesus Christ, when when Jesus Christ will be fully displayed, when the curtain will be pulled back, when when we will see Christ in all of his glory and majesty and wonder. He says, though you do not see him now, because you're still on earth, you love him. And... uh, you, are, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and, and filled with glory. That even now, why, by the power of the Spirit, you have a taste of heaven. Because as, as Peter says in 1 Peter 4, he says, uh, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. Heaven comes down in the Spirit. And glory, that is heaven, fills our soul. 
Now, I, I understand that. Uh, that's not always the experience of the people of God. Sometimes, sometimes the sheer busyness of life makes us lose sight of the future blessings that God has given us. Sometimes it's carelessness, spiritual carelessness. We're not in the Word. Or sometimes we allow sin to cloud our vision of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we're at our best, when we're trusting in our Lord Jesus, when we're walking in His ways, when we have the sense of the joy of the Lord, the peace with God, the full accomplishment of the work of Jesus Christ, love for Him and love for our brethren, when that overwhelms us, it fills our sails with joy. And we feel like we're in heaven, even when we're in the midst of the trials and difficulties on earth. And when you're experiencing heaven before you get to heaven, that's the Spirit who has been given to you as a deposit of your future inheritance. So as Isaac Watts says, the men of grace have found glory begun below. How can we be in heaven before we're in heaven? Because God has given us the Holy Spirit, not only as our seal, but also as our deposit. You know, one of the troubles that we face as Christians is that we don't always remember the blessings that are ours. I was reminded of something along those lines this past week when I was going over my credit card statement, and my uh, wife went to America a few weeks ago, and I bought her travel insurance, twenty-seven fifty for the day. But just prior to that, I had received an email from my health insurance provider, and they had said something like uh, they are changing carriers of travel insurance. I thought, huh, I don't know if I have travel insurance through my health care provider. So I called them up, and indeed I do. I can be away for 30 months, I, my wife, my family, and we're all covered for health insurance anywhere we go in the world. So I could have saved myself $27.50, but I didn't know what benefit I had in my health insurance. And that's all too true for us as Christians. We don't always know what God has prepared for those who love Him. And we don't realize what a treat it is that God the Holy Spirit has been sent by Christ to His church to seal us and to be the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance so that we of all people are so blessed to have the Spirit of God within us. And as we think about that and ponder that, it helps us to understand more fully who the Spirit is, and what God has for us, and to enjoy with more delight 
all that Christ has purchased for us by his death on the cross so that we might live better lives to the praise of his glorious grace. So cherish the Spirit. Let him be not unknown to you, but learn who he is and what he has done so that you might love the triune God all the more. Let us pray together. O Lord, our God and most gracious Father in heaven, we do give thanks to you for the benefits of your grace to us in Jesus Christ. Our problem is not that we lack anything, but that we forget all that we do have. So remind us through your word and spirit what it is that we have in the gift of the spirit so that we might live our lives confidently, knowing that we are protected by you, owned by you, and that we might look forward without fear to that great day when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed in glory and when we will enter into the fullness of our inheritance. So bless us with the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray and enable us to live lives in line with all the privileges that are ours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.